What's up, everybody? Welcome to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Hyundai Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, as we get ready for Cleveland for the third straight season. 2021, we went up there, had a 14-7 lead. Terod Taylor got hurt, and everything went to you-know-what after that. Last year, defense played outstanding. Uh, but the offense kept giving the ball back to the Browns, special team stuff. Yeah, it was not a good day. Either one of the last two years, but hopefully year number three, three in a row, will be the same, well, turn out the same, as nine years ago as it appears that Case Keenum will face Joe Flacco at NRG Stadium again, nine years after the fact. Now, I'd like to know who had Case Keenum versus Joe Flacco at the beginning of the year. You could have won a lot of money in Vegas with those lottery numbers, but that's what it's going to be. Apparently, we'll have a little bit more. Not that there's more we can add to the C.J. Stroud concussion situation. Just C.J.'s not ready yet. He has not progressed in the protocol, um, and it appears that um, Case Keenum will be that guy. We'll see. We know how it went last week. Everybody thought it was going to be Davis, and it turned out to be Case. I mean, who knows? Um, but we've got all kinds of things to hit tonight. We're going to have the slant with Bobby Trees, a.k.a. Robert Woods. We'll have our in the lab as usual. Kevin Kugler, who called the game last week, Browns and Bears, will join Mark as he goes men behind the mics. Kevin is our preseason TV play-by-play man, does a great job. He's doing basketball, football now. He's doing all kinds of stuff. And then Max Loeb. From the Believe Network, we'll do a little behind enemy sidelines with our guy Drew Doherty. That'll be a little bit later. But we kick off the show as we always do with the Executive Vice President of Football Ops and General Manager Nick Casario. We had a blast talking to Ohio's own Nick Casario. Here's Mark, me, and Nick. Let's go. Nick, great to have you with us. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Good to be here, fellas. Well, we're very happy this week, Nick. That was a (laughs) tremendous victory. We know we have a lot to talk about with Cleveland on Christmas Eve at NRG Stadium, but let's reminisce, shall we, about that victory, which was all hands on deck and getting the job done. Yeah, no question. Really, credit to the players and the coaches. D'Amico talked about it really at the beginning of the week. This was going to be about everybody. We're going to need everybody. Not really sure where it was going to come from or who it was going to be, but if you're available, get yourself ready to play. And everybody had the right mindset and went in there against a good good football team um, who has been playing well. Uh, we made enough plays on our end. So they did a number of good things in the game um, that gave us the opportunity there in, in overtime or fourth quarter overtime, kind of the end of the game. I mean, it's interesting. We sit here every week, it seems like, but we've been in nine one-score games and then four walk-offs, so yeah. two that we've won, two that we've lost. So it just goes to show you the margin of error is so slim in this league. But the players came through, a lot of credit to them, and the coaches did a great job, especially on the heels of what happened a week before in the Jets. But this is a really good example of you can't let affect one week affect the next week, and certainly emblematic of that, no question. Nick, what was the, the key you thought for Case leading the offense to get them in? And look, they, they didn't set records, put up 19 points going through overtime. It wasn't like the greatest offensive performance of all time, but it was maybe the right performance. What did you see from Case? What kind of got them in the right direction? Yeah, efficient, ran the operation, really, other than the interception, for the most part, there was a number of positive plays. Um, you know, one of the things that kind of goes unnoticed, especially a quarterback, sometimes in the running game, 
is getting the blockers distributed accordingly based on the defensive look. And there were a number of players where he was able to either push it out or get the identification correct so we can get the blockers distributed properly. So I think those are some things that go unnoticed Mm -hmm. that not everybody would see or know, but made good decisions, uh, made some timely throws. Um, and he did a pretty good job of kind of maneuvering in the pocket and making some positive plays and keep some plays alive. And the two biggest plays in the game, really, a touchdown pass to Noah and then the throw to Motor were examples of just kind of movement, subtle yep. movement in the pocket, keeping the play alive, and then something good was able to happen as a result. And you had one of your best running performances of the year as well. What about what Motor did on the ground? Yeah, I mean, hat on a hat, offensive line did a great job. Tight ends were a big part of the running game. And it's tight ends, it's the receivers, and then the back making the right cut, making the right decision. Um, but Motor's been very productive and consistent, really, from the beginning of the year. Motor's a good runner. He's very instinctive, has a good feel, has a good knack. He, he has good playing strength for his size, has good balance. Um, he has good vision, so those are good qualities that you know you want a running back to possess. So you know we were able to turn out some positive yards, and we talked before the game about the running game, and then even you know the red zone. So mm-hmm. we were one and three in a red zone, but that one I would say touchdown made a difference. And then conversely, defensively, we did a great job. I would say in some of the situational areas that enabled us to, to put ourselves in a position um, to have a chance to win at the end. Nick, there were a number of players out. I know you know this, but Dalton Schultz came back. Having Dalton back in the offense, he has four catches. He obviously has the one over McCreary. But it just feels like there's something with Dalton being on the field. Like, you know he's going to be in the right spot. He's going to be where you need him. He can be that third down completion. There's a big third down completion to him on the sideline when he's flexed out um, that we needed after the interception. What are your thoughts about Dalton being back and how much that helped? Yeah, Dalton's a smart, instinctive football player. Has good hands, has a good sense of space. Um, and he's been over the course of his career. I mean, he's basically been a 55, 60 reception player. So, I mean, there's production that goes along with it. And we were going to see, you know, pretty good tight end this week. We'll talk about Njoku in a yep. little bit. But, I mean, Dalton's experience and just his sense and savvy of how to play football um, certainly adds value to the offense. Nick, I love stories like Desmond King, like Derek Barnett, guys who weren't with you. They come in. They play huge roles in a terrific defensive performance like that. What about that part of it as well? The way these guys just fit into what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I think in Dez's case, certainly his familiarity with the mm-hmm. system having been here the previous two years. We made a decision in training camp to just look at something different, and then there was an opportunity to bring him back. But, I mean, Dez, a little bit different, but like Dalton, very instinctive football player, yeah. has a good sense of how to play, and he's a good run force player. And when you're in not a lot of nickel defense, whoever that seventh defender is, in this case the nickel, is a huge part of the run force. So he had a number of tackles at or near the line of scrimmage, mm-hmm. and that speaks to his toughness, that speaks to his tackling. And then Derek, Derek's been a good player in this league for a number of years. Hasn't over, over the last however many weeks, wasn't getting as many opportunities in Philadelphia, which led to his release. Um, but he's very strong. He's powerful. He's an instinctive player. He's experienced, even though he's only 27, 28 years old, but he's played a lot of football. And he took advantage of his opportunity. I mean, he's not Will Anderson, but, you know, he was able to give us a lot of good snaps. And we're going to play eight, nine players. So, I mean, really, the whole defensive line, I mean, every single one of them had a play where you can go back in the game and say, boy, they made a difference and impact of the game. Speaking of defensive line, Waiver claim on Monday, Tuesday, whatever it was. Tier Tart, what can you tell us about that, Nick? Yeah, interesting story. Undrafted player, um, kind of found his niche, made a way, and I would say he was a steadily improving player for Tennessee. 
I would say from 21 to 22, you saw a big jump in his play. Yep. And then 22 to 23, he played significant amount of snaps here. And we were preparing for him. Um, then they released him here. It was just a decision that they made. Yep. But um, has good size, has good playing strength, has a certain level of toughness, probably a little bit better run player than a pass player. Um, but, you know, it was an opportunity for us to add a player that, you know, has – been a decent player here so we'll see how he fits relative to what we do and maybe he can give us some plays there um, on a defensive line moving forward well and it just goes to show you in relation to what we were just talking about it's such a week-to-week thing Uh, last week's team looked nothing like a team that played four weeks before for you almost right very much so mark and we've talked about this on the show you the 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 season is really four quarters so we kind of have the first quarter you kind of the middle we're kind of entering basically the fourth quarter here now. So your team kind of evolves. It's going to change. You know you're going to have some players that are on the roster that are come off because injury or there's going to be some personnel changes or adjustments. So I think maintaining that flexibility and adaptability is important. And then just looking at where are we right now, present time, what do we need to do this week, what's our opportunity to either add a player or make an adjustment. So that's kind of where we are, and we're going through the same process here this week in preparation for Cleveland. Along those lines, though, do you remember a time where we've seen so many reserve quarterbacks playing key roles in a playoff chase down the stretch here? It's probably been a while, Mark. I mean, I can't think off the top of my head, probably just from a sheer volume standpoint. I mean, even last mm-hmm. night watching a Monday night game, I mean, Drew hadn't played very much at all, yep. and Drew took advantage of his opportunity, but – I mean, we'll talk about Cleveland, but what, what they've done has really been incredible. And what mm-hmm. Joe's done is a credit to, to him and the coaching staff. But it just goes to show you, at some point, you're going to need everybody on your team. So you can't discount, well, this player is a backup, this player is the third this. At some point, that player may have an opportunity, may have to play. So you have to, as a staff, feel comfortable with that player. And if there's a chance to upgrade that position or player, then that's part of our responsibility. But... I mean, this is a very unique year. I don't know exactly what the numbers are. I mean, I don't want to say it's half the league, but it has to be at least half the league mm-hmm. has played with multiple quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I think there's been five or six teams that have the same starting quarterback from week one, um, but the rest of the league has had to deal with some level of attrition. I mean, Sunday could be Joe Flacco versus Case Keenum, and who would have had that, I mean, on your bingo card at some <laughs> point. But to, to your point earlier, Nick, we talking about we talked about everybody in the D-line had done something positive. But then you you bring in Tier Tart, and I always think about this draft wise. Like sometimes, like, well, why'd you draft that position? You're like, well, strength and a strength. And I would say the D line has been for the most part a strength this year. But bringing in Tart is kind of exactly what you're saying that is strengthening a strength. I would agree with that assessment, John. I think sometimes there's a propensity to think, well, you don't have X, you need to get X, right. and that's where you should allocate your resources. Okay, well, or look at it as, well, we feel we're pretty good here. Well, here's another opportunity to maybe enhance that because at some point if you lose one or two of those other players, then this person can maybe step in. So I think our from our perspective, D'Amico and I have talked about this extensively, it's just about getting good football players consistently with the right makeup, with the right mindset. And then once we get them here, we'll figure it out and we try to make it a good problem, not you're responding out of need or necessity because you don't have that optionality. Well, Nick, it's such a week-to-week thing, like we said, and I only bring this up because I cannot resist using a financial metaphor here because all the fans are talking to us about playoff positioning and stuff like that, and this is like trying to cash your 401k early, right? You look at it, it is where it is, but it doesn't matter. Aren't there because, penalties for that yeah, when you cash exactly. in your 401k? And you can't do it till you get to the end of the line, right? It doesn't really matter. So once you get through the regular season, 
there'll be a point in time where you see where you are as a team, but mm -hmm. until you get to the end, the only focus is on the opponent and the task in front of us, which I would say this week is, is very formidable. Mm -hmm. And let's get to that. It's the Cleveland Browns. We're 1-0 against the state of Ohio this year, beating the Bengals. Got to go to 2-0 against the state of Ohio, um, which one of us in this You had to bring it up yeah, that way. Yeah, had to bring it up that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we got to be better than the state of Ohio. But the Browns, 9-5, really good football team. And like us, knows how to win games at the end. What's the scouting report on the Browns, Nick? Yeah, I think what they've done is really as good as any team in the league. It starts with Andrew Barry and the way that they've constructed the team and the roster. Yep. A lot of respect for A.B., and then Coach Stefanski has done a phenomenal job. I mean, they've lost as many players as just about anybody in the league. But, I mean, good, really good coaching staff, very experienced. I mean, Kevin, really more of an offensive-minded coach. I bring in Jim Schwartz to be the defensive coordinator. And, you know, now they're, they're leading the league in defense. Yep. So Jim is a very experienced coach, very smart coach. Um, they're very good in the kicking game, Bubba Ventrone. Um, as a player, I mean, funny story, I actually worked Bubba out coming out in the draft when he was coming out of Villanova. So it was in April – it was just the two of us on campus. He was actually coming off of like a broken fibula or broken leg. He wasn't fully healthy. Oh, wow. Uh, but Bubba is really very tough, yep. and he's a very good coach. So really good uh, coaching staff. I mean, Bill Callahan, one of the best offensive line coaches in the league. So good off, good coaching staff. And then they have, I would say, some elite players. I mean, defensively. I mean, Miles is just one of the best players, in the football players in the league. Forget about defensive player of the year. He's one of the best football players I want to say, like, a unicorn, but, I mean, he's a unicorn. But very good front, very disruptive front. You know, Garrett, Smith, they signed Tomlinson for agency. I'd say JOK is really improved, kind of first, second, going into his third year. Very explosive, very fast. Um, and the secondary, I mean, they have basically three starters at corner in Newsom uh, and Denzel and Emerson. They've had some attrition there, a little bit at safety. Um, but, I mean, they're uh, first in a league in basically every defensive category, so certainly present challenges there. And then offensively, they've kind of been able to make do with what they have. The one thing, the couple players that have been consistent, uh, Joku and Coop, have been kind of, and really the whole receiving core for the most part, have been out there and available. Um, Joku is one of the better tight ends in the league, and where he kind of separates himself is his run after catch. It was a Billy with the ball. Yeah. He's very athletic, very strong. Coop still has a lot of big playability. Um, and then quarterback-wise, Joe's done a really good job here over the last three games to come in. Joe can still throw the football. I mean, he's got a really good arm, very experienced. He's assimilated to Kevin's scheme. Um, and they've gotten really good production from Ford at running back with the loss of Chubb. So they've kind of figured out a way to make it work, uh, present a lot of problems offensively and defensively. They present significant problems. And I would say from a – core kicking game just personnel probably as good a player at the core positions as any team in the league they use jok i mean who's their best linebacker good mm -hmm. punter and Corey bajorquez and then dustin hopkins done a good job so i would say top to bottom from ab down to the way they put the roster together the coaching staff to the players i mean there's a reason they're nine and five and a lot of uh, credit to, to what they've done mm, interesting nick you grew up in that part of the country so take us back to young Nick Casario going to games at Cleveland Municipal Stadium. The mistake on the lake, some people called it, but that, that had a beauty to it, that stadium. An authentically old, classic stadium, right? Yeah, old school stadium. I mean, Browns played there, the Indians played there. Mm -hmm. So there was a little football, baseball. And now you have specialization. It's just, okay, a football stadium, mm -hmm. then you have a baseball stadium. But definitely had an old school vibe to it. And uh, 
in the winters, it gets a little bit closed right there on the lake, but mm-hmm. um, that was part of growing up in Northeast Ohio. That franchise, Jim Brown, people forget about how great Otto Graham was. I know this is well before your time, but you've heard all the stories in the household. No, you're talking about, I would say, some of the, the people that have impacted the game of football as significantly as anybody else. Yeah. I mean, and everybody talks about Jim as a football player, but what Jim did after his career left his mark and the imprint that he had, I would say, from a societal standpoint, probably going to be unmatched. So when you just look at the history of the organization and the people that have been through there, um, there's a lot of <laughs> storied. It's a very storied franchise. Um, and I'd say, you know, under the Haslam ownership and what Kevin and AB have done, they certainly put it on pretty good footing here moving forward. Nick, as you were talking about, uh, you know, kind of the history, you were talking about the history of the Browns. I wanted to make a Joe Flacco age joke. But <laughs> when you watch Joe throw the football, you're like, he's 38? Really? Um, what's... How's he doing it? What's What's been the biggest thing that's worked for him these last few weeks stepping in? I mean, he was interviewing for a TV commentator job on Inside the NFL, didn't get it, and now he's leading the Browns and throwing it really well. What's been big for him? Yeah, Joe's played a lot of football. I mean, there's a re- and Joe's been a very successful player for a number of years. I mean, you know, what he did in Baltimore, I think is pretty well documented. And then, he, you know, with the Jets and kind of at the back end of his career, he's kind of bounced around a little bit. But they're – aren't too many things that Joe hasn't seen. So I think anytime you go into a new situation, it's just understanding, okay, what's the expectation? What do I need to know? Sometimes when you come in during the season, I don't want to say it's easier, but there's just, it's more of a week to week understanding the core of the game plan, or you're going to get some of the base foundation of fundamentals, but it's not as if you have the entire playbook that you have to have a full understanding of. So Joe's always been able to throw the football. I'd say Joe kind of has a sneaky way of moving around the pocket. He's really more of a pocket passer, but they still run some keepers and run some boots to kind of get him on the edge. And he kind of has a feel for how to navigate in the pocket. Um, And he's been very accurate with the ball. I mean, there's been a number of throws where he's really put into tight spots. So Mm -hmm. Joe's always been a very accomplished thrower of the football. Um, kind of has a moxie in a way about him, um, and he's able to see the field because of his size. So, I mean, credit to him and you know Coach Van Pelt and you know Coach Stefanski for for what they've been able to do with Joe in a short period of time. A couple more, Nick. Here we are coming to the end of the year. The, there's a draft board somewhere in this stadium, right? So you have it up there. And how much is that going to change in the next few weeks based on not necessarily bowl performance, but I know declarations are obviously going to be huge and things like that as you get toward the combine. Yeah, no, we we have – it's funny, we were looking at this a week or two ago. We probably have, I don't know, 250 to 300 sort of players sort of on the board, if you will. Mm-hmm. That includes underclassmen who we think may declare, but they may not declare. So then once we get the official deadline, then those names will come off. And then our first kind of round of meetings in December was more of a needs-based need to know. What do we need to know about this player? What do we need to find out between now and let's call it April? So Mm -hmm. that's kind of where we are. So a lot of this is going back and just there's any players you haven't seen or watched, getting caught up on those players. And then we'll have the all-star game kind of circuit here coming up here in January. So we'll spend some time there. And then February we'll come back and kind of circle back. And then we'll be able to go through pretty definitively the underclassmen, who, who's declared, mm. where are we on that player. So it's a little bit of a moving target, but we do have a population of names, no question about it. So now it's a matter of, okay, does the over-the-top and the West see the players that are in the East? So we want to try to get as many people at the top 
to see as many players as possible. So then we have those uh, discussions and dialogue. You're getting input from everybody. So definitely a moving target, but, you know, we have a pretty good foundation in place. Our guys, the group has done a phenomenal job to this point. So try to stay on track here um, and just get information. A lot of this is information gathering and just try to make sure we stay ahead of it here over the next few months. Nick, along those lines, and this this maybe just is, is your opinion, how is the, the transfer portal in NIL changing the, the draft in a sense that maybe there are some guys – like Dylan Gabriel, I like, okay, he's going to the draft. Well, no, he transferred to Oregon. And you're like, okay, well, that's one less quarterback in the draft. Are you, and maybe it's too early to tell, but it just feels like to me, just kind of watching outside or looking in, that there are more guys transferring than maybe declaring. Absolutely, John. Uh, I would say that whole process, it's not to say significantly altered, but it's definitely made an impact. It's interesting. The league right now, they're getting evaluations of potential players that may declare underclassmen, but some of those players are also in the portal. So they're in the portal. They're trying to get, well, where am I projected? Okay, well, the league is telling me this. All right, well, maybe the better option is to go back to school. So you didn't really have to think about that before, and you've seen the number of underclassmen that have declared decline over the last two to three years. I think it peaked 140, 150 or whatever it was. Say last year was around Mm 100-ish. But I was reading something the other day. There's 1,200 players in the portal right yeah. now. So it's essentially college free agency, right. yeah. which it puts a lot of tax and stress on the schools, on the players. But it's, okay, play one. I mean, the kid from uh, the Ivy League Player of the Year, the Penn kid, defensive tackle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Played four years. Probably was going to end up, you know, on a roster, be with a team. Well, he transfers to Florida. So now he has an opportunity to play up. So yep. I think you're seeing a little bit of that. Uh, graduate see if I can play up versus, well, I'm going to go in a draft and maybe I improve my stock if I play up a little bit. So yeah. there's a lot of factors. All we can, it's kind of like Mark talked about, all we can control is what we can control. Yep. Mm-hmm. So we can't sort of make it up. So yep. we're prepared for as much as possible. But then once we know, okay, here's the pool of players that we're right. dealing with, then we can allocate our time and resources and then try to identify the players that we think are the best fits for us. Money aside, and if it couldn't be the NFL and you had to coach – would it be D3, D2, D1 with all this portal stuff? And I imagine D3 is no picnic either with all the recruiting that goes on at that level. <laughs> it's it's a great question. I mean, I would speak from my experience. I've kind of done a little bit of everything. So having mm-hmm. played a Division three, coached a Division two, had coaching experience in the MAC, and mm-hmm. having a good fortune to work in the NFL, they're all different, but by the same token, it's still football. So I think you just want to try to find the best situation that works for you individually. Mm-hmm. Just try to be around as many good people as possible and just go out there and just try to do your job to the best of your ability. So um, that's, that's that would be my answer on that one. All right, finally, I don't know if you noticed, but it's Christmas week, Nick. And uh, <laughs> this just in. You know what your nickname is at home. Uh, but can you share some maybe from your youth holiday traditions that stand out or a special gift or something like that just pops out, big Christmas memory from the Casario household. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I mean, I grew up, it was just, we had a small household, myself, my brother, my mom and dad. So Christmas Eve, we would always go to my uh, nanny and papa's, my mom's um, uh, mom and dad. So that was kind of our tradition. So we'd mm-hmm. go Christmas Eve, we'd do our Christmas exchange there, and it was really just our family. I mean, we have a very close-knit, very tight family. Very small kind of group, very intimate, though. And then Christmas Day, we would do it at our house, and we kind of have Christmas morning, we'd open presents, and then we'd end up going to church. So what we've tried to do with our family is try to carry the same traditions. I mean, it's just in Texas, we just have our family. It's my wife Mm -hmm. and our girls and our dog. 
So we try to create a similar situation as we had growing up. Um, the hardest part about the holidays is just, you know, you're away from your family. But, you know, we we have a great time. We have a great day. Our girls understand, you know, the importance of Christmas, not just opening gifts. But they they go to bed early. We do some things the night before, yeah. and then they come down, and they're hopefully uh, they see a bunch of presents down by the tree. But <laughs> um, nice. it's a great holiday, um, and, you know, we're definitely looking forward to next week. All right. Well, Merry Christmas. Good luck, Nick. Merry Christmas. Thanks. All right. Awesome stuff from Nick Casari. We always have a blast talking with Nick and, of course, with the Cleveland Browns on the other side. It's always kind of weird when you see your childhood favorite team. Uh, before I got to Houston, I was a big Packers fan, so whenever we go up to Lambeau, uh, where I was about 45 – I grew up about 45 minutes north of that or, you know, any trips up there, I always, you know, it's that pang of, like, uh, remembrance of those things. But – uh, Houston Texan through and through. Also a Houston Texan, even though he's only been here one year, is Robert Woods. He sat down with Shelby Coppage for The Slant. That's next on Texans All Access. It's time for The Slant right here on Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter. And it's Bobby Tree's time. Yeah, Robert Woods joining The Slant. And this week, our guest host is Shelby Coppage. You've seen her do Texans 360. She jumps in and sits across from the great Robert Woods. Here we go. Welcome to The Slant. I'm Shelby Coppage here with Texans wide receiver Robert Woods. Yeah. Robert, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me on. You were just telling me in high school you played defense and almost yeah. in college. Yeah, I played uh, defensive back, played safety, uh, was uh, recruited as an athlete. Um, out of high school, uh, thought I was gonna play a little bit of defensive back. I remember one week at USC, I started practicing uh, nickel back and uh, did not end up getting called in the game, but was preparing to play both ways. So a little bit of defense in me, you know. I love it. Well, yeah. your first year with the Texans, mm-hmm. you have a beautiful family, by the way. Thank you. What do you and your family do for fun in Houston? Uh, a little bit of everything. I think uh, a little bit of everything. Just yesterday, we drove down to. College Station, actually, and went to, like, a Christmas gathering, things like Santa's Workshop or Wonderland, but really just driving all around Houston, experiencing food, uh, experiences, family things, um, museum, zoo, has everything uh, here to offer, has to offer a lot. So being a Trojan, you're fine hanging around the Aggies, just not the Longhorns. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, yeah, being in Texas, you know, seeing some Longhorn fans is still, still, Bitter to me. I didn't even play in that game, but it's just it, 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 it traumatized. Yeah, it traumatized every Trojan from generation to generation. Take me in the locker room. It's pregame. What are the Texans players listening to? Uh, Sundays are like really great in our locker room. Uh, it starts off with uh, gospel music to to prep uh, the day. Um, everybody's getting their their blessing, getting their God and their. Their mental prep and focus, and then it switches to NBA YoungBoy and uh, just just some amped up music. Guys getting ready, fired up. When you want to be able to feel the energy from your teammates in the locker room, and I think you're able to do that. But it's it's a really cool, unique locker room because I feel like it's Sunday, and I think our team respects that. Um, and it's I don't know, it's kind of unique. It's kind of cool. Sunday's over, the game's over, practice is done. How do you decompress at home with your family? Oh, I'm a big lounger after the game. Uh, I want to either get a good meal and or sit on the couch, whether it's Sunday night football, a movie. But I'm definitely a couch potato after the game. Um, just want to want to lounge. Do you have a teammate that has any weird superstitions or an interesting pregame routine? 
no. Uh, other than CJ Stroud, unique <laughs> his unique warm up. I know a lot of people have seen him uh, throw a baseball, shoot a basketball, swing a golf club. Uh, had a tennis racket out there. I mean, he's a quarterback who warms up his arm in many different ways. Does it every practice? Does it every game? Uh, I would say that's probably the unique warm up superstition, whatever you call it. But it, it, it allows him to get ready for the game. After your touched on the Saints game, I like when you said that you need C.J. Stroud to have confidence in you and you want that. As an NFL wide receiver, how do you build confidence with your quarterback? Yeah, just repetition. I think uh, throughout the whole year and offseason, it's really just building that rapport with your quarterback, um, throwing, constantly catching, and warm-ups. So just whenever there's time available being around your quarterback, if you see a route that someone else is is running, you're able to just stand next to your quarterback. Uh, hey, did you see that? I would do this or I would do that. Like being able to still reps, we say, and being able to communicate and just be on the same page as your quarterback. I think me and CJ have been able to do that since we got here and uh, just really, really starting to show in the games. There's a kid, he's watching you on TV. He's a wide receiver in middle school. What advice do you give how what it takes to be a good wide receiver? Uh, effort. And and technique, um, I think playing defense helps a little bit. Just having an attitude of not being soft. I know a lot of people think of the receiver position as not being physical, but I feel like the way I play is as physical, not afraid of contact, but being able to be urgent to be able to get to blocks, be able to get defenders off of you, but then cone drills as much as you can in the backyard and any space you could get, staying on the cones, working your feet. And um, it translates to the game, and you can see all our receivers are great route runners. Who's a defender in the NFL where you just want to avoid at all costs getting hit by him? Uh, nobody. I feel like oh. there, yeah, nobody. There, nobody. There's um, we we go out there and we we play fearless. It's uh, nobody who phases me. Um, being out there, being able to just like I said, play confident, play fast, and um. When you have that mindset, make them have to catch you, make them bring you down, uh, you're able to play fearless and play fast. What's your one of your favorite things about living in Houston? Uh, what's the best part about Houston? Anything you like, big or small. Uh, similar, similar to L.A. It has a little bit. It doesn't have the beach for sure, but it has a little bit of everything else you get. You get your sports, you get your entertainment. Um you get your nightlife, you get your food, um, but you don't get as bad as traffic. And I think that's a little plus about Houston, being able to do multiple things in a day and get around um, is the biggest plus, especially compared to L.A. You pick one thing and that's all you're doing for the day. And there's humidity here. There's plenty of that. It's, 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 it's pretty bad. It was a training camp and summers. It was pretty intense, but uh, I mean, actually – Getting a little bit of cool breeze now, which is nice. You actually get a little bit of winter, and um, it's nice to have the changeup. And talking about living in L.A., you have an extensive career, part of that being winning a Super Bowl. Yeah. What experience do you bring from winning at the highest stage to the Texans' locker room as a leader? Um, knowing what it takes, knowing that it takes uh, everybody on a team, um, coaches, training staff, practice squad guys, uh, offense, defense. It takes everybody just being a part of, the success of the team and um, just keep getting better and keep improving throughout the year. 
I was asked to be a martyr and ask if you like the nickname Bobby Woods. Bobby Trees. Bobby, no, Bobby sorry. Trees. I was I asked like to be a martyr <laughs> and asked if you like the nickname Bobby Trees. Yeah, Bobby Trees is a uh, go. Been having it since since Buffalo. Been sticking around and uh, it's lasted. Love it. Thank you, Robert. I appreciate it. Thank you. Good luck Sunday. Thank you. Yeah, Shelby didn't say my name, but yeah, I'm the one. Robert Woods, a.k.a. Bobby Trees. I think it's one of the great nicknames of all time. I love it. Absolutely love it. Appreciate Shelby for stopping by. And, of course, RW2, Robert Woods. Hopefully he's going to have a big game against the Cleveland Browns. Coming up next, we're going to go in the lab. Drew Doherty and I, we get you know a little crazy on it in the lab. I think we played this one straight. You'll hear that next right here on Texans All Access. Oh, yeah, we've reached that time of the show where it's time to get freaky, get nerdy. We're going to dork out, whatever you want to call it. Drew Dory and I going in the lab. Let's rock. You and I are going to discuss these things. We're going to have a what if I told you. What if I told you. This is a very happy what if I told you. Okay. We're going to have a cream of the cropper for the game on Sunday. So Christmas morning, we're going to wake up and say this guy was a cream of the cropper for the Texans because. The cream of the crop. First things first, how you doing, man? Good. Much better than last week at this time. I'm kind of wondering what happened in New Jersey as opposed to this week going, man, what a what a really wonderful team win led by Case Keenum nine years after the fact. Almost nine years to the day, Drew, of stepping in out of a deer blind and leading the Texans to a victory. Now, the numbers weren't tremendous against the Ravens back in 2014, but Coming out of a deer blind, playing that Sunday, leading them to a win was huge. And I felt like in that game in 2014, he kind of managed the game. I felt like this game against the Titans, he made winning plays that we absolutely needed. It was incredible to watch. Incredible to watch. He's now won three in a row as the Houston Texans quarterback. It's got to be a record of some sort because those three wins or wins two and three have a gap of what, nine, 10 years almost? Yeah, nine years. It's remarkable. The last two games of the 14 season, which was his third season in the NFL, but only his second season of play because he spent 2012 in its entirety on the practice squad, spent the first six, seven games of 13 on the practice squad. And then Gary Kubiak made the call midway through what was a just disastrous 13 to say, Hey, case you're starting. And he started seven straight games, played pretty well, but it's, there's just so much working against that team. Anyway, another time, another place, so much fun, so gratifying to see case, do what he did. I know you're like me. I know I speak for you. When the Texans signed him this spring, we were all excited because this is something we'd kind of been clamoring for for years. Hey, why don't the te- let's let's bring Kate? He'd be a great backup, and he would have been. But the timing just wasn't right. But to see him go out and do what he did was just so heartwarming. And then to see everything he said afterwards more heartwarming and unsurprising knowing who this guy is. It was so much fun and so cool to see in that regard. Yeah. And I think the one thing that, that resonated, especially on on that day against that team was when he talked about what the city of Houston means to him and how proud he is that he wore the university of Houston Jersey for what, you know, six years Mm-hmm. He's worn a Houston Texans jersey now. This is the 12, 13, 14, 15. It's the fourth year. Mm-hmm. Third, I guess third year, like you said. On, third on different the field, time he's done it. Yeah. Yeah. Third different time that he's done it. Um, you know, he's just been an incredible ambassador. Um, you know, we, we, it's funny. 
you know, there, there was there was so much talking and conjecture about the quarterback position during the week. Would CJ play? CJ doesn't play. What's Davis going to do? What's Davis going to do? Davis going to step in and start all that. There were very few people that really gave consideration to the fact that Case could start that game. And I guess I can maybe say it now. We we kind of figured it out by Wednesday. And so we were just waiting to see if somebody was going to find out and figure it out. And it wasn't until Aaron Wilson broke that news, I think, on midnight, Friday night, or whatever the case might be, that case was actually going to start. And it was at that point where everybody started scrambling back like, oh, no, 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 well, this is what I meant about, you know. So it was kind of interesting to watch from that perspective. But, you know, the guys believed. Uh, and I, I feel like there was a moment in that game, Drew, where, where – it could have. It was on the verge of getting dicey. You know, Case had thrown the pick six, mm-hmm. and it made it. It was thirteen to nothing, and it was not. It was not Case's fault. It was a miscommunication. Running back, I think, it was Dare thought he should, you know, continue on as opposed to settling up. It was zone. It was not man, and so it was just a miscommunication. And so Case threw to where he thought Dare was going to be. Dare kept going to where he thought he should have gone. And Elijah Molden took the ball and went to the end zone 13 to nothing. On that following drive after that, the Texans did nothing the first two plays. It was third and 12. And I just remember thinking, boy, this, it could, this thing could get out of hand, and I'm bracing for it. And then Case throws a seed to Noah Brown for 22 yards. And he did that and a few remember, times that day. He did. To Noah in dire situations. Yeah. Yes. And that, to me, was maybe the most dire because I actually had started thinking, boy, ugh. But he hit that. And I don't remember I don't I don't think we scored on that drive, but it was just enough to say, Didn't. Hey, I'm not going away. That interception isn't going to scare me away. And the more I thought about it later on, it was kind of foolish to even think that Case was going to back like what's he got to lose? You know, he hasn't started in a couple of years. He's 35 years old. He's going to keep slinging. But what that did to me was show the defense, hey, we're still in this fight, man. Stay in this fight with us. Then they went down and kicked the field goal before the half and just got points up on the board. And then the crucial series, the the interception by Nelson, followed up by the third down throw to Dalton Schultz, and a field goal eventually made it 13-6. And that's, I think, when things change on the sidelines for good. Like, not only are we in this thing, we're going to win this thing today. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of – I could kind of see a sea change on the sidelines of, you know, things that just got – you know, uh, one of the things that stood out was watching the TV copy. It just so happened because he was standing there – where Dalton made the catch. Dalton makes the catch on a third down, and there's Kurt Heinisch. I see him in the background on the sidelines. He's just, like, pumping his fist, like, yes. <laughs> and it was just kind of this moment of, okay, we're going to do this today. We're down some guys, but we can go win this football game, and we're better than these guys. And I think that was the one thing I took out of there was with all the guys that we had down. And, yeah, they had Jeffrey Simmons out. I, I get that. Um, but that was it. Other than that, they yeah. had a pretty healthy team. And we stuck it to them. Yeah. And really, we're the better team, especially on that day. So hopefully in a couple weeks, uh, that's still the case. And and no pun intended. And we remain that. But we got bigger work uh, with the Cleveland Browns for sure. You know, you brought up the, hey, we've kind of figured it out. It was going to be Keenum starting. There were a few pretty pretty major tells throughout the week, starting as early as Monday. I'm not going to get them all the way here, but it's going to be fun to discuss that later down the line. All right, let's let's put a bow on this win over the Titans with a little what if I told you. And this is a fun exercise because I think when I when I do these after wins, 
it shows you how tough it is to win a game yeah, and how you've got to overcome a lot sometimes to win a game. So yep. you already knew before this thing started, there was no CJ Stroud. There was no Nico, no tank Dell. There was no Will Anderson. There was no Blake Cashman. There was no starting right tackle in George Fant. I mean, you had a lot going against you even before this thing started. But John, what if I told you, what if I told you 1130 on Sunday morning, Hey, Listen, Texans are going to be down 13 nothing with one yeah. second to go in the first half. <laughs> Kate, Case is going to throw a pick six, man. Texans are only going to go four of 15 on third down. Yep. John, Texans are going to commit eight penalties on the road for about 70 yards. What if I told you those things, knowing that all those other guys are out? It's going to be a long day, right? Yeah. There's no doubt. I mean, I think. You know, the, the flip side of that is, okay, and, and this is what, you know, what if I told you this is the counter? Okay, all those things happened. So how did they get? Well, number one, Devin Singletary, badass. Again, mm-hmm. uh, motor was incredible. I really, I really wanted that touchdown run to stick because it's such a fantastic representation of what motor is and how he runs. And it was just awesome. He had like and 80 yards. He had like 80 y- yards from scrimmage on those first two plays of the final drive if that sticks, you know? You know, the, the play that will get forgotten, Drew, is interesting because I, I was doing Telestrator. I did Telestrator. I did mine on uh, the throw from Case to Motor that got them into Titans territory. What The play that will be forgotten is the play that happens right after that. And – I'd like to get Andre Ware to, to to speak on this because one of the things that Dre always talks about is, and we talk about is, you know, you got these running backs that, you know, make a long run and then they'll come out of the game. Um, they'll go get a rest after a long run. Well, Motor had just had that long catch and run. They turn right around and they give him the ball in the next – and we're, we're, we're in long field goal range, like long field goal range. But we're not in – I feel – about field goal range yet Mm -hmm. like I'm thinking 60 you know plus at that point and so they give motor the ball in the next play and he ends up slicing on the right side for about eight or nine yards and that's the that's the play that actually gets them into field goal range is that play and they just hammer that right side where George Fant wasn't uh, and we missed George but will will be forgotten but it's a huge play because they're at the 39 yard line I think it was you know it's 56 but motor picks up five yards on that run and it felt like it was more than that but mm-hmm. he picks up five gets it to the 34 and then the next run he takes to the house and you know it, this is also a peek behind the curtain too I saw the fly I saw the hold saw the flag come out so I knew I knew the play was coming back like I knew it there's no way that anybody was going to talk that guy I saw the hold so Mark is describing the action and as he's describing the action and he's kind of going through like motor to the five in the end zone and I'm screaming there's a flag there's a flag and I'm like screaming at him like you know don't worry about this call then I, I remember Mark and I have had this conversation a long time ago about, you know, I'm just going to finish the call because what happens if that flag is erroneous? 
you know, what happens if they do pick up that flag? Then I've just given it this blase call expecting a flag. And it's one of the greatest game winning touchdowns ever. And I've, you know, kind of mailed it in because I knew there was a flag. So I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I probably should have just. okay. but I saw it. I knew it was coming back. Of course, the next play, they, you know, get minus one yard. And it was at that point, D'Amico had told us, "Okay, we're not we're not going to take any chances. We're just going to let Kaimi kick it. So I think Devin Singletary running the ball. Kaimi Fairbanks, 250 plus yard field goals. What if I had told you, Drew, the Texans would hold Derrick Henry to 10 total yards, 20 touches? Now, Remarkable. that, yeah. you would have told me, John, you've lost your ever-loving mind. You, yeah, you so, would have absolutely so much, said that to me. So much was made afterwards about sacking Will Levis seven times, which was awesome, huge. Yeah. Second most right, sacks cool. in a game by a team, by the Texans in team history. Phenomenal work. I mean, I'm not going to – I'm not downgrading that. But what they did to Derrick Henry was, was more important, was more impressive mm-hmm. in my mind, considering what he had done, how he had brutalized you for the previous five games leading up to this one. In those five, he had a combined 1,018 yards. On average, he went for 29 carries, 204 yards, and two touchdowns in those five games against you. In four of those five – he had 200 yards or more. He only he only didn't crack 200 last time you played him, which was the freezing cold game when he fumbled it away late. Still had 120 yep. some yards. Yep. What you did to him was phenomenal. And at no point did I think, okay, this thing's over. They've got him because he's the type of guy like you can keep giving him, give it to him, yep. give it to, him, and he busts one, and 75 yards later. Uh, there he is. And he does that. He gets, he has 80 some yards. That's a nice afternoon. Yep. But they did a phenomenal job in bottling up Derrick Henry. And that's, I think that's the story of this game quietly with all the stuff about the uniforms, all the stuff about Case Keenum and Kaimi Fairburn justifiably getting their due. I think what you did to Derrick Henry to stop him was huge. Yep. All right. Yeah, let's absolutely. move forward. Let's move forward to Christmas morning. We're going to wake, wake up after a Texans victory. And when we do that, John, who will be your cream of the crop award winner? Texans beat the Browns because the cream of the crop. L T. Lawrence L Taylor. T. Ladanian Tom. Oh, Laramie, Laramie Tunsil. Tunsil. He's got his work cut out for him. He does. Now, the Browns use Miles Garrett a little bit differently. And maybe Jim Schwartz will get smart. Uh, I shouldn't say that. Jim Schwartz has been smart. He has done some things. With Miles Garrett, he doesn't beat Miles Garrett's head up against the wall. Um, he wants Miles Garrett to get to the quarterback in every way, shape, or form possible. And if Laramie Tunsil is holding down the fort against Miles Garrett, then he's going to move him around. But the majority of dropbacks that CJ or Case or Davis, whomever is dropping back, they're going to need Laramie Tunsil handling Miles Garrett if at all possible, and that's going to be the toughest one. If the Texans are able to get the ball off, it's going to be because the offensive line is holding its own against Zadarius Smith, obviously the rushers they have, but mainly Laramie Tunsil going against Miles Garrett. That, like that one. is going to be the toughest. That's going to be the toughest thing. So Laramie Tunsil has to play like the Laramie Tunsil we know. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. I'm going to go with Devin Singletary. He's got to do close to what he did last week. The Texans – 
that's a nice formula when he's running the ball and doing things because it's going to open things up. And that's what this offense will need. Now, the defense is going to have to face Joe Flacco. We'll talk about the injury report. Joe Flacco ended up on that injury report. Um, he's not the only quarterback on there. We'll talk about that a little bit too. But when we get back, we're going man behind the mics. Kevin Kugler, our good friend, he will join Mark Vandermeer next on Texans All Access. We got one hour down, one hour left to go right here on our Wednesday edition of Texans All Access. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans. And I always love this segment. In fact, I'm really the inspiration for this segment because I told Mark, I said, I need a segment from you. And I told him this probably, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And I said, you know what would be really cool is if you got on the phone with the play-by-play voice at the other side. He's like, yes, I love that. And both of us are just I mean, that's like right up our alley. I love hearing the voices throughout the league. Now, Jim Donovan unable to do it for the Cleveland Browns. So we thought, man, who would be good? And Mark said, I know. I'll get Kevin Kugler. And I said, that's great because Kevin Kugler did the TV call for Bears-Browns last week. So this is going to be awesome. It's going to be perfect. And Kevin Kugler's our good friend from the preseason. He calls our preseason TV games and is as cool as it gets. That makes for a perfect man behind the mic segment. So let's do it. Mark Vandermeer, the voice of the Texans. Kevin Kugler, our good friend. Here on Fox Sports Games. He does basketball. He's doing football. He does everything. Let's go, man, behind the mics with Kevin and Mark. Let's go. Mark, take it away. Joining us now on Texans Radio, it's Kevin Kugler from Fox NFL Coverage, Big Ten Network, Texans preseason games, of course. Kevin, how's it going, my friend? It is going great. Always a pleasure to chat with you and uh, to chat with the good folks in Houston. Always great to hear from you. And we see on the Big Ten Network, we see you doing Fox games. So let's talk Cleveland Browns because you have become sort of an unofficial TV voice of the Cleveland Browns (laughs) in recent weeks, Kevin. And you've seen the transition into the mini Joe Flacco era. Let's start there. What are your thoughts on Flacco QBing for the Browns and the results? It it is remarkable to see. You just don't see this very often. A 38-year-old quarterback who had been ignored by every team that needs quarterbacks across this league. He had been sitting at home. He'd been throwing passes with his kids. He'd been trying to stay in shape, but nobody was calling. He thought he still had some in the tank. He wasn't sure. Finally, the Browns got to the point where they needed a quarterback. They decided to call him. And it's been remarkable. It's like he dipped himself in magic waters. All of a sudden, Joe Flacco, 38-year-old, looks more like Joe Flacco, 28-year-old. He's got zip on the arm. He's throwing the football all over the lot. He's thrown for over 300 yards the last two games. And he's led the Cleveland Browns, who are a team that's been decimated by injuries, more so than anybody else in the league. 26% of their entire salary cap is on IR right now, which is the most in the National Football League by far. Nobody's even over 20% outside of Cleveland. And yet there they are, 9-5 and in the AFC and sitting in that top wildcard spot. And a lot of it has to do with their defense. But a good chunk of it the last couple of weeks has to do with the play of Joe Flacco leading him past the Jags and then the comeback win against the Bears. Yeah, they still run the ball well, right? I mean, they don't have Nick Chubb, but they still have guys who can carry the leather and do things with it, and that's a big part of it as well, right? There's no doubt when you've got Jerome Ford who can do a little bit of everything that brought back Kareem Hunt when Chubb went down with the injury in week two to try to shore it up. And a guy who would have no learning curve coming in, he would know the system. Obviously he's been a Cleveland Brown for the bulk of his career. So you bring him back in, he's got a little bit left 
And then Joe Flacco comes in and starts to distribute the ball. David Njoku, the tight end, has really started to blossom with Joe Flacco as his quarterback. They've started to rely on him a little bit more. And he's very athletic, has had some drop issues in his career, but seemingly over the last couple of games has started to fix that problem. At least he's hung on to the football with a better accuracy number than the last couple in the last couple of games. And, and you know what, you give Joe Flacco some credit for that. Amari Cooper still has plenty of gas in the tank. They're an interesting team, but that defense is really the story with the Cleveland Browns, miles Garrett and that Cleveland defense keeps them in games long enough for an offense that sometimes has fits and starts to be able to get it going. Yeah, we all see what Miles Garrett can do. He's outstanding, but it's not just him, right? They just attack the ball from wherever they're coming from. Well, when we've all seen Jim Schwartz coach, whether as a head coach or defensive quarter in this league for however many years, I mean, it's been decades. And Jim Schwartz is never afraid to bring pressure from any side, from all sides, mix up his pressure, run a bunch of different games up front. They really do a lot of different things with that defense. It's also been hit hard by injuries but they've got a good secondary. That back end is strong. You get pressure from up front, and Jim Schwartz brings that pressure from all over the place. It's really a, it's an interesting setup. Kevin Stefanski is obviously an offensive head coach and has been a very good offensive head coach in his career, and now Jim Schwartz in charge of that defense has really turned that defense into a formidable unit, and despite all the injuries, there's Cleveland somehow. I mean, really, nobody knows quite exactly how this is being strung together, and I can tell you, including the coaching staff, because every week they've got somebody else that goes down. They had two starters left from week one in their offensive line. They lost one of them last week in Joe Batonio. So they're down to one right now in their offensive line alone that were week one starters. And yet there they are, nine and five, doing it with a variety of different things and a variety of different players. Kevin Kugler joining us on Texans Radio. Quick aside here, as the Bears just lost to the Browns, it was a very close game, could have, would have, should have, Hail Mary attempt by the Bears. What do you make of them? Because they do play D. There's no question about that. They do have some playmaking ability as well, but the record doesn't reflect any kind of success right now at 5-9. and nine. They've, they've struggled to close games, Mark, and you see that a lot with teams that are, that are trying to figure things out. They're young. No excuses. This league is this league, and you are what you are. You know, as the famous quote was, we are what our record says we are. And what the Bears are right now is a team that's barely hanging into a slim chance at a possible postseason berth. And they're probably not going to get there, and then they're going to have some decisions to make. But I will say, Coach Eberflus has done a nice job with this defense. Remember, he had to take over defensive play calling early in the season when their defensive coordinator abruptly stepped away. And He's done a nice job getting these guys to play. They added Montez Sweat from the Commanders and then signed him to a big four-year extension. And Montez Sweat now leads the Commanders in sacks and the Chicago Bears in sacks. So that's never happened before. Nobody's ever led two teams in the same season in sacks. We'll see if he ends up in a few weeks as the sack leader for both the Commanders and the Bears. But his addition has really turned that defense around their numbers in the last six games are a far different cry from what they were at the beginning of this season. And a lot of it has to do with the addition of Montez Sweat. But that offense has really struggled. Justin Fields out of the lineup for four games. They had to go with Tyson Bajit. They went two and two when he was out. It's just a team that doesn't really have enough offense to support that defense. And we saw that again on Sunday. They had a 17-7 lead, a rare breakdown defensively. But there's just no margin for error with a team like the Bears. 
Kevin Kugler joining us on Texans Radio. Kevin, we mentioned Flacco. The Texans just had to play a game without C.J. Stroud. Do you remember a time where you've seen so many reserve quarterbacks playing key roles for teams in the playoff mix, some firmly entrenched in the playoff hunt, like the Cleveland Browns, and the Texans have a pretty good shot as well? I don't remember seeing so many backup quarterbacks factor in this way. I, I don't either, Mark. In fact, every time we go into a city, it's like I feel like I've got to make sure I have great stories on these backup quarterbacks because half of them are in the game. Tyson Bajan for the Bears, I just mentioned him, a guy nobody thought was going to be a starting quarterback in the league. They four starts this year. We've seen it in the key in the Texans division, obviously with the Texans. How about with the Colts? Not exactly what they had planned on for their quarterback situation. And there they are right in the mix for the playoffs. Cleveland Browns are using a quarterback, one of their four starting quarterbacks to win a game this year that as of a month and a half ago wasn't on any team it, it, and it's been this way all across the league we saw Monday night with Seattle winning a game with Drew Locke as the starting quarterback it just continues on and on I've not seen anything quite like this across the league and I mean this is this shows the value of the position but it also shows the value of having a capable backup like the Texans do with Case Keenum and with Davis Mills you've got guys there who can pick up the slack when CJ's not able to go in a rare game. And obviously everybody wants to see CJ back, whether you're a Texans fan or not. He's one of the most dynamic and exciting young players in the National Football League. But you've got to have that guy who can step in, a veteran who can win a game or two for you when you need him to. Texans saw that this week. Colts have seen it. Seattle has seen it. If you don't have that good backup quarterback or a capable backup quarterback, you're in a lot of trouble. Kevin, we caught up several weeks ago, might have been a couple of months ago, and I asked you about this. The Texans were starting to make some noise with C.J. Stroud and company and D'Amico Ryans as head coach. And having done the preseason games for years now, and especially this year, how surprised are you that here they are at eight and six and right in the thick of it in the AFC playoff chase? I think when we left camp and when we left the preseason, I think everybody thought this team was going to be better. I mean, I, I the, the, the talent was clear that it was better and it was an improved roster from what we saw last year with the Texans. But I would be, I'd be blowing smoke if I said I thought they'd be eight and six at this point and knocking on the door of the postseason. Uh, that, that was not something that I thought was possible this year. I expected to see it in a year or two. I think D'Amico's the right guy, and I think we all thought that. We all felt it right when we first got the chance to talk with him in the summer. But, I mean, my gosh, the development that we've seen from C.J. Stroud, Will Anderson, this whole team, has really come together. They're fun to watch, and I and it's, and it's fun to see because I'll I'll run into people across the league, or I'll talk to friends of mine who'll say, "Yeah, have you watched the Texans? They're a lot of fun. Oh, that's a fun team to watch. That's a cool team to watch." This is a team that I mean, I, we're going to be talking like this for years now with this young core that's in place for Houston. But it's fun to see, man. I I, I didn't expect it to be this quick coming out of camp, but. I'm excited to see it. I'm excited for the city of Houston. It's been it's been a franchise that we've all known had the ability to get to this point, and I really just think we're at the we're at the starting line for the Texans right now. It's so it's going to be so fun to watch this race run over the next several years. Kevin Kugler with us. Kevin, give me a couple of the best games you've called this year for Fox. Memorable games, really great games that you're going to remember for a long time. Well, you know what? Last week's Browns-Bears game was fun. Just from the standpoint of a near Hail Mary, you mentioned it, that landed right in the lap of Darnell Mooney. If he secures it, the Bears have a win. I don't know that it's a game that will go down as one of the great games I've ever seen, but two weeks ago we had Vikings-Raiders, and we were three minutes away from the first scoreless overtime game in the history 
of the National Football League. We ended up with a 3 nothing Vikings win. I'm not going to put that in the Louvre as far as great games in the history of the sport, but it was one of those historic games that you look back on and you think, wow, that's crazy. And then four days later, I had Thursday Night Football for Westwood 1, and the Raiders put up 60 points. So I go from a zero-point Raider output to a 60-point output in the span of four days. That's a stretch I'll certainly remember. And then we had the chance early in the year to call the Eagles and the Jets, and it was the Eagles' first loss at the time against the Jets team that you'd have to say that was the high-water mark of their their season. It's been a rough year for the folks in uh, in green in New York, and that was really the high-water mark. It was a high-broadcast number for us, so we were excited about that. And it was a memorable game. It was a lot of fun to be there for that one. Kevin Kugler with us. All right, so, Kevin, let's shift gears here to college because I know you do so much college basketball. You do everything. We all know this. So college basketball playoff format versus college football playoff format, where we are going next year with the 12 teams. You like it at 12? You want more? I know we've talked about this in broad strokes in the past, but we're getting oh so closer to this actually becoming reality. Yeah, I, I don't want any more than that. Uh, college is, there's such a, there's a line to where, you know what, I know there's more teams playing Division One college football than the NFL. I don't want any more than that. I don't want the basketball tournament to expand. I, I like where we are with the way things are in basketball and the way they're going to go in football. You could have sold me on a smaller number for a college football playoff, and I would not have argued with that. I, 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 don't, I think four is too small. You could have probably sold me on an 18 playoff. I, I, you know, I, I, I know where we're going with this. I just hope it doesn't get to the point where it's so watered down that you've reduced the regular season to rubble. Uh, there, there's still value in the regular season. I hope there continues to be value in the regular season. I'm not one of those people that thinks an expanded playoff is going to doom the regular season because I work every week in the National Football League, and I know the regular season matters a ton, even with more teams in the playoffs now than we had 10 years ago in the NFL. So I, I, don't, I don't buy the notion of, oh, if you expand it to 12 to 16, it's going to become some sort of watered-down thing to where it won't matter at all. I just don't want to see it go beyond that. We don't need a 64-team NCAA football bracket. We don't even need a 48-team <laughs> like you see at the Division One, AA, or the Division II levels. I, that, that's too many. Let's keep it at a manageable number so that everything matters, the regular season and then the postseason. All right, you've been in the Big Ten for a long time, broadcasting games, and I know you're in a lot of these gyms, week to week, that kind of thing. What is the scuttlebutt about the expansion of the Big Ten with the purists, because you talk to a lot of the school administrators, you can't fight change. It is what it is. It has to happen. But is there some resistance among some of the people who have been there for a long time or some reluctance? How do you see it? What are you hearing? Uh, from, from a purist standpoint, I think there's more resignation than anything else. Not a, not a, oh, I'm going to resist this change or anything else. Just sort of a, yeah, this is how it's going to be. And we're stuck mm -hmm. with this and this is what it's going to be. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. I mean, I'm one of those people that, you know what, if this is the reality you're presenting me with, we're going to make the best of what that reality is. And so I'm going to make the best of that and see what it goes. It's, it's the, the one thing I worry about is not football and not even really basketball, but all the other sports, it really creates a significant burden on the other sports and it makes it difficult and I know nobody cares about the other sports from the grand scheme of things. This is all about football. Maybe somebody thinks about basketball along the way, but it's mainly about football. And I, I do think that if you get into the position where you're ignoring completely all the other sports, I really do think it hurts those student athletes and it hurts their opportunities when they're traveling from 
Piscataway, New Jersey, to Los Angeles, California for a midweek volleyball match. That's a tough ask. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. In those sports, that is a real tough life. Kevin, give me the next couple of games on your schedule NFL-wise. I know you have some college hoops. You have Creighton going on tonight. You have a lot of things happening. Creighton Villanova on FS1 on Wednesday night. We've got Bears Cardinals on Sunday on Fox. And then the Christmas holiday gives me a few days off before we uh, wrap up the calendar year with the Giants and the Rams on New Year's Eve day from New York City, which could be a real critical game for the Rams who are trying to – they're right now in the playoff hunt. They've got the Saints, and then they've got 10 days off before they go out east to take on the Giants, the Giants team that's clinging to very slim chances. They're probably in the same spot as the Bears and that they won't be in the postseason. But the Rams have designs on being in the postseason. One of the real surprise teams this year in the NFC, I don't think anybody expected to be talking Rams in the playoffs with that young roster mm. coming off a season like they had last year. So that'll be a real interesting game in a week or so. Absolutely. Looking forward to all of it. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Look forward to catching up soon. Thanks, Mark. Always good to hear from you. Yeah, it always does my heart some good when we get Kevin on the air. He is fantastic at his job. So, so good. Great pipes. Great manager of the game and calling it puts the right amount of excitement in it. I love listening to it. A lot of times when I'm going back and watching the game, I don't really listen to the call, but I had the volume up and I heard it was Kevin. I was like, man, I'll let this go. I think he and Sanchez do a pretty good job. Mark Sanchez who does the call with him. So uh, I think that's a pretty good team. So uh, hopefully, I don't know, maybe the last couple of games, maybe we'll get one of them. I don't know. Either way, we got Ian Eagle, Charles Davis. In fact, we'll hear Charles Davis on Friday as he joined Drew uh, to discuss this one against the Cleveland Browns. Then we get back. Oh, boy, the injury report when you go into week 16 is usually gory, gruesome, awful, and it is. So we'll give you as much of an update as we can about C.J. Stroud and what else is on the injury report on both sides. It's not pretty on either side. So we'll get into that next right here on Texans All Access. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a Wednesday edition of Texans All Access from the Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter, getting ready for the third straight year of facing the Cleveland Browns. And we're facing the third different quarter. This is how weird this kind of all is. Texas, this will be the third time the Texans have played the Browns. It will be the third different quarterback matchup. In 21, we faced them. It was Terod Taylor against Baker Mayfield. Terod got hurt, then Davis jumped in. In 2022, it was Kyle Allen who stepped in and took on Deshaun Watson and now it looks as if it will be Case Keenum versus Joe Flacco. That's just bizarre that three games in three years with six different starting quarterbacks. Now, CJ would have been a six different starting quarterback, but update on CJ as much as we know. He was not at practice today. And that's, I mean, it's just part of the protocol. He's just not at practice today. And that. Puts in jeopardy his opportunity to play on Sunday. And, you know, I hate the phrase it is what it is, but there's nothing really you can do about it. You know, it's just whenever he can get back, he can get back. Hopefully we get him back. If we don't, we trudge on. I think one of the things that D'Amico Ryans and Nick Casario have talked about all year long, and I've likened it to a Food Network chop television show basket. What's in the basket? Well, we got a Case Keenum. Uh, and we got a Dalton Schultz, and we've got 80% of our offensive line. 
what can we do with that? Okay, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Put it on a T-shirt. We'll figure it out because the Texans are figuring it out without some of their key guys. Now, today at practice was uh, the epitome of we'll figure it out because two, four, six, eight players did not participate in practice. Tell me if you've heard these names before. Um, Will Anderson Jr., yeah, big name. Still dealing with that ankle. Blake Cashman, AFC Defensive Player of the Week, Week 6, hamstring. Brevin Jordan, sick. John Mechie the third, sick. Shaq Mason deal with a calf issue. Um, obviously, C.J. Stroud with a concussion. Larry Tunsil typically has Wednesdays uh, to rest that knee and get some rest as a veteran. He did not participate today. Jimmy Ward was out at practice, but in a visual capacity, just kind of visiting, if you will. He was dealing with that concussion he suffered against the Titans. Limited participants, No Brown, Malik Collins, Nico Collins, Denzel Perryman, and Robert Woods, his rest day. Back at practice full, which is nice to see, was George Fant dealing with that hip and Steven Nelson with the hand. Now, the Browns, it's not much better. The Browns' injury situation is, but well, we already know it at the quarterback position, it's been rough because they lost to Sean Watson. Then DTR Dorian Thompson Robinson was hurt. P.J. Walker was in and out of the lineup. They've won games, all three of those guys. Joe Flacco steps in. Flacco was a limited participant in practice today dealing with a calf issue. Now, he wasn't alone in that limited, but we'll get to that in a second. Did not participate, and these are big. Joel Batonio, back knee. He left the game against the Bears last week. Amari Cooper gets a rest day. Miles Garrett gets a rest day. David Njoku gets a rest day, but he's dealing with a knee. Wyatt Teller gets a rest day, but he's dealing with an ankle. Juan Thornhill with a calf. Obo Okoronkwo with a peck. And Junishik, the linebacker, with a calf. So, some pretty heavy hitters there uh, on that side. Now, I would imagine Cooper, Garrett, and Joku, and Teller, those not injury-related rest days, they'll be back. I'm, I'm not too uh, concerned about that. But, Betonio is a big one to watch, as is uh, Thornhill Okoronkwo. Okoronkwo didn't play last week. We know Oboe from here. That peck injury, it sounds like it could be for the year, but we'll find out. Juan Thornhill has been on and off with that calf for a while. He's starting safety. So their safeties have kind of been all over the place. Last week they started De'Anthony Bell and a rookie, Ronnie Hickman, uh, from Ohio State. So Betonio's, if this continues where some people think it will, Betonio being out, that means four of the five will be backups. One of those backups is Jerron Christian. He was limited with a shoulder. If you're like, wait, that name sounds familiar. Yeah. He rotated with Austin Deculus at left tackle against the Steelers in week four for the Texans. It's nuts. Now, Flacco, I think, would probably be okay. Jerome Ford, Kareem Hunt, both running backs, deal issues. They were limited. Ethan Posick. Now, back could help at center. They had Nick Harris last week against the Bears. Posick's their starter. He'd been dealing with a stinger. Uh, and Anthony Walker with a knee, limited participant. So, it's key. The Browns didn't practice just a walkthrough, so this is what they would have if it would have been a little bit more than that. So injury report on both sides, pretty, pretty gruesome at this point. Not gruesome is Max Loeb. He covers the Browns for the Believe Network. He'll join Drew behind enemy sidelines next on Texans All-Access. we got one final segment this Wednesday edition of Texans All-Access from Monday Texans Radio Studio. I'm your host, John Harris, football analyst, sideline reporter for your Houston Texans, glad you have been with me this evening. We've had a lot of fun. We had Nick Casario on earlier, and he's always a blast. Mark and I love getting a chance to talk with him. 
we had Drew Doherty on for In the Lab. Shelby Coppage did a great job with the slant with Bobby Trees, a.k.a. Robert Woods. Kevin Kugler was on the show as well. So a big thanks to all of those individuals who were there and, of course, to you guys for listening. But I'll thank you at the end as well. Uh, but we got to get to one final segment here, and we're going to go behind enemy sidelines. That's right, Max Loeb. I texted Drew and I said, hey, is Max Loeb any relation to Lisa Loeb? And I, of course, described who Lisa Loeb was. And she's a Brown University graduate. And he was like, duh, son. He, he sunned me. He was like, son, I know who that is. Well, Max Loeb covers the Browns for the Believe Network. We're going behind enemy sidelines with Max Loeb and, of course, our pal Drew Doherty. Let's go, Drew. Okay, it's time to talk Cleveland Browns, and we're going to do so with Max Loeb. He's the co-host of the Dog Check on the Believe Podcast Network. He does it with a former Texas Longhorn, one of my all-time favorite players, Eric Metcalf, a real slippery guy as a running back, as a receiver, as a return man. He was a force of nature. And Max, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but Eric has a fantastic video. It was basically his Heisman hype video, and it was produced by, I think, the University of Texas, with the worst song you could probably ever put on a hype video. It was like a slow love song by <laughs> Alabama, and it was called oh. You've Got the Touch. So go look that up. You will you will not be disappointed. It's probably yeah. 45 minutes of content. But, Max, first things <laughs> first, thanks for coming on. You guys, are the Cleveland Browns ever going to lose again? I mean, what's going on? This was supposed to be <laughs> – once, once Deshaun Watson went down, it was like lights out. That's it. And that has not been the case whatsoever. Uh, I hope they never lose again, but I think eventually it'll be inevitable, but I don't know yet when Deshaun went down, when Nick Chubb went down, when uh, Obo Okoronko went down, when their starting tackles went down, like it's just everything. And I'm sure we'll touch on that later, but you wouldn't, you don't think they would be as good as they are, but keep finding ways to win. And I think that's a credit to the coaching staff for sure, but the personnel they put in place too, they're, what I've seen is they're really going out of their way to maximize what they had, especially offensively the identity has changed tremendously over the past couple of weeks, especially with Joe Flacco. You think of Cleveland Browns football, you think of running the ball, you think of time of possession and field position battle, which is the case partially, but they are passing the ball like nobody else. The three games with Flacco, it's second most pass yards in the NFL. So it's it's been really, really refreshing to see Stefanski and that staff utilize their personnel in different ways. And obviously the defense has been doing it all year long, but it's, it's really, really cool to see. I think they will lose again eventually, but hopefully not anytime soon. And we're going to dive deeper into some more stuff. But, I mean, just 30,000-foot view, it says a hell of a lot. And you touched on this. It says a hell of a lot about the character of the team and the coaching staff, like you're talking about, to, to persevere when, man, so many odds have just been stacked against yeah. you. Four, four different starting quarterbacks, correct? Correct. And they've won a game with any, every single one. It's remarkable. At least one game, excuse me. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Well, let's talk about Joe Flacco. What have you seen from yeah, this guy the last few weeks? I remember Joe Flacco, obviously, from what he did with the Ravens. And I remember being on the field. The Texans played Baltimore twice in 2011, mm-hmm. once in the regular season in October, once in just an epic playoff game in the divisional round. Yeah. And the Texans absolutely beat the ever-living hell out of Joe Flacco. I'm never going to say Joe Flacco is an elite quarterback, but I will say <laughs> Joe Flacco is an elite, tough guy. He took everything yes. they had and just popped back up and kept slinging it. Yeah, it, it's very much been like that in Cleveland, too. Like I just harped on, they, they don't have 
their starting right tackle, their starting left tackle, and their backup right tackle who's probably going to be on the all-rookie team, also done for the year. So it's a beat-up offensive line. Uh, their center was out last game. Their left guard, Joel Batonio, got banged up and missed a bunch of snaps. It's a it's a makeshift offensive line, so he's taken some hits. But they've done a really good job of keeping extra guys in protection. They've done a really good job of chipping guys. Like Montez Sweat, had a, I think he had a sack last game, but neutralized for the vast majority of the game. And they're just letting them sling the ball. It's really, really refreshing to see. And you kind of knew watching the Browns games this year that Amari Cooper still had a lot left in the tank. You obviously know what you have athletically in David Njoku. And I, I was a big Elijah Morgan. I think his rapport with Flacco in New York previously helped a lot too. But he's been getting involved a lot more. It's good to see them trusting those guys because I think they have a lot of talent. And I think the old Browns without Flacco, you're almost pigeonholed into this you know, play action, zone run centric scheme with quarterbacks who can also pull the ball. Flacco can't mm-hmm. pull the ball. So you got to pass a little bit more and you got to make up for those lost snaps where you were running the ball efficiently with quarterbacks too, but you got to make up for the snaps. And it's been really, really good for the most part with Flacco. I will see, I will say the turnovers really scare me because they not only come frequently, they come in bad places on the field. Like they had a, a pick that the Bears picked off at the Browns I went like 25 or 30 yard line returned to the one and scored a touchdown uh Flacco threw a pick six that was probably not all on him but returned for a touchdown the fumble he almost had a fumble excuse me that was um their own 20 yard line and then after the Bears muffed the punt the Browns got the ball at the Bears 26 or 27 next play throws a pick so the turnovers are not only happening frequently they're happening at really bad places on the field too so I don't think there's a good place to have a turnover on the field, but doing it in your own red zone or your opponent's red zone, it, it it's magnified for sure. Yeah, it's it's an odd stat because the Texans are looking up at the Browns win-loss-wise. They're, they're game back of the Browns, but hmm. Cleveland is 28th in turnover differential in the NFL. Yeah. And for those that don't know, turnover differential is when you have – it's the difference between takeaways and turnovers. So – the Browns are 28th in the league. They've turned it over seven more times than they've taken it away. And the, the Texans, meanwhile, uh, they're fourth in the, the NFL. They're plus eight. So they've taken it away eight more times than they've turned it over. Only three teams, the 49ers, the Bengals, and the Cowboys, are better than Houston in that stat. And it's really, really weird. You bring it up as something that scares you. How have they been able to thrive, been able to win so many games, you think, despite that, that disparity? I think one one aspect of just defensive football in general that the turnover margin will never like statistically take into account is three and outs. The mm-hmm. Browns have forced, I believe, more three and outs than anybody in the NFL. Huge, Definitely yeah. more three, three and outs than anybody in the NFL at home. So that is an enormous part of their defense. They come out swinging, they stop the run, they get off the field quick. So like in the turnover margin, that is definitely a part of it for sure. But it's the red zone defense. Like, if the, if they turn the ball over, the Browns are doing a really, really good job of either not letting the other team get a first down or move the football, or if they do get in the red zone, not letting them score. It's been difficult without Denzel Ward. Last week was his first game back. But the red zone defense holding teams to, to three instead of seven has been enormous for the Browns. And it's, it's parts of it are just unexplainable. Like, you, you think, especially that Jacksonville game that the Browns had uh, last week, they literally did everything they could to actively lose the game on offense, and they still won. Sometimes you just you just find ways to win. You make more plays than the other team. You make plays at better times, too. So there is some aspect of it that's unexplainable, but taking care of the defense in the red zone 
And then the three and outs have been huge too. And like I said, the, that'll never be like statistically counted for mm-hmm. in that aspect of turnover differential. But I honestly think it should. It's as good as a turnover, forcing a punt within two minutes. Yeah. You know, they're, uh, they've been outstanding. Like you mentioned, you touched on it. They've been outstanding at home this year. They've only lost the one game to the Ravens. Yep. But on the road, it's been a different story. They've got two wins, but they've, the defense, they've, they've given up quite a bit. I mean, it looks like they're averaging about 30 yards uh, given up, or at least the Browns are giving up 30 yards a game, 30 points per game. 20 uh, is is about the 24 is about the, the best they've done. That's the, the lowest they've held yeah. an opponent to. How do you explain that? I mean, defense usually travels, doesn't it? Well, it, it's weird. When you look at it game by game, I think the biggest thing for the Browns this season, everybody will point fingers at Miles Garrett being their best player. Um, I think people look at the tape. You point out Dalvin Tomlinson being a run stopper that helps in a lot of different aspects. Not having Denzel Ward the past couple of weeks where they gave up uh, 30-something points to the Rams, like 29 to Denver, both on the road. That is the biggest thing. Because not mm-hmm. only is that your number one corner, who I personally think is playing better than almost anybody in the NFL this season, uh, you lose your number one corner. But what that also allows you to do, because the Browns play so much man coverage, you can go trust him, trust Martin Emerson, trust Greg Newsom, other corners to just go play one-on-one receivers and then add an extra guy to the pass rush. That gives Miles Garrett a one-on-one. That gives Zedarius Smith a one-on-one. That gives whoever you want a one-on-one or you outnumber him six to five, whatever you, whatever it may be. You trust those guys to cover in the back end. And that's what happened last game because the Bears, they scored 17 points. One was a pick six. One was a touchdown where they got the ball at the one. So yeah. you, you can you do put an asterisk by the also, defensive. Yeah. Yeah. The point total in that one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then you look at some of the other, the road games, the Browns have allowed a, a lot of points in the Indy game. Indy had a really, really good offensive game. The Steelers game, they scored 12 offensive points. Like there are some games where <laughs> the, I don't think, I don't think the numbers do it justice yet. Yeah, the, the, the two defensive touchdowns for Steelers are pretty crazy, but the Steelers are not I, I a good think, team. The Steelers are not a good team. Well, we saw them here and they got blasted. They're, yeah, yes, that's yeah. smoke and mirrors right there, but sorry to interrupt. Like, No, yeah. I, I could not agree more. Could not agree more. But yeah, I think Denzel Ward missing the past couple of games has been the biggest issue. But it's a very real thing having home field advantage, whether it's the noise, the fans, the comfort of playing at home. It's a very real thing. And that's why I think and I've, I've told a lot of people this. You never know what's going to happen with the AFC this year. It is as open as ever. There is not one team that separates themselves from the rest. I think it'd be a stretch to say the Browns win the AFC North, but they make the playoffs as a wild card. Getting that five seed instead of a six or a seven, who knows? Maybe maybe AFC championship game rolls around. You're playing good football, and so are the six-seed Houston Texans, or so are the seven-seed Buffalo Bills. You're going to host them, so who knows? It's, it's an important thing. But as for the road defense, I think it's a couple things. I, the comfort, for sure, and the fans, but the the perfect storm in a lot of those road games, for sure. Max Loeb has a podcast about the Cleveland Browns. It's called The Dog Check on the Believe Network. Max, you just brought him up, but we're very familiar with Miles Garrett. He played just up the road at Texas A&M. He is a dominant force. Have you seen anything growth-wise out of him this season, or is it just more of the same, more of the excellence that's been happening over the last five, six, seven years? I I think maturity has come a really, really long way with him. I think – especially the past couple weeks, he hasn't had a sack in like three weeks. And it's partially because they're just giving him so much attention, right? double teams, whatever it may be. But 
growth wise, maturity, doing different things defensively too. He's been a really, really good part of this run defense, which is one of the best in the NFL. He is understanding his role and letting the guys around him go make plays. And I think if you ask a lot of Browns fans who's been the best defensive player of the past, like three, four weeks, Miles Garrett would not be the first name that came to their mind. He may not even be the second name that came to their mind. Hmm. I think him doing that, being able to make plays, draw attention, and just, you know, not hearing a peep, I think is a huge thing. And I, I think, you know, just what he does and how much attention he brings to one side of the offensive line or a defense or an offensive game plan, that's another huge thing. And now that Browns actually have other players like Dalvin Tomlinson, Jeremiah Usukoromoa, uh, Zadarius Smith, that can actually go make plays if you do double-team him. That's been mm-hmm. a huge difference I've noticed too. On the offensive side of the ball, you, you you told us about some of those weapons. Amari Cooper, everybody knows about him. David Njoku is doing phenomenal things. He's actually got eight more catches than does Cooper. But yeah. these guys can hit you in a lot of different ways. And is is Flacco just unlocking all that, being the pure passer, being the guy that is able to do those things? Has he just kind of unlocked some of what was maybe lacking earlier in the season? I think yes. I think in terms of pure passing, he has been be- definitely better than you know DTR or uh, PJ Walker. Probably better than Watson though. And yes, I think he's unlocking him and having a better passer who's more comfortable is a good thing, and that's probably helping the receivers. But I honestly think it's a volume thing. Like the past three weeks, the Browns have thrown the ball more than they ever have at any point in the season. And again, I think that's partially because your best run blocking offensive linemen are hurt. It's partially because you don't have Nick Chubb, but they haven't had Nick Chubb all year. I think they realize what their strengths are offensively. I think they realize Flacco can throw the ball. I think they're starting to realize very few people on planet Earth can cover David Njoku. I think they know they have a good receiver in Mari Cooper, Elijah Moore. Like two weeks ago, Mari Cooper had 14 targets. I believe that was the season high for any Browns player. David Njoku had double-digit targets last week. Like that didn't happen when they would play with Deshaun Watson. And again, I think it's a very much a playing to your strengths thing because the reality of the situation for the Browns offense is they're better offensively in the pass game than they are in the run game. Again, I think that's a credit to the offensive staff, Stefanski for seeing that and realizing that. But as, as much as I want to say Flacco has unlocked everybody, I think it's a volume thing. Run defense or excuse me, run, run game. Is it just, if they scaled back because of all the passing, like you're talking about. They've scaled back, but it's interesting. They're still like moderately efficient. Like they've, they've mm-hmm. been efficient. Last week against the Bears, who I think were the second best run defense in the second half of the season up until that point, like they were, they're fine, like they're efficient, but they knew the advantage they had in past games. They threw the ball more. I think again, it's very much playing to your strengths, and I don't think the fancy will ever truly abandon the run game. But mm-hmm. he's gotten away with it with you know, quick passes. The screen game has been a lot more prevalent the past couple weeks. He's gotten away from it, but is still finding ways to win early downs. And occasionally what the Browns will do is just go play action deep shot on first down just to keep everybody on their toes. And it's honestly worked more times than not. So it's it's a really, really refreshing thing to see Stefanski and that offense changing the identity a little bit. But the run game has has totally scaled back. I don't know if it's they realize they just can't do it as effectively with Nick Chubb. I do think, think they're still moderately efficient. Or the past couple of weeks they've just had better matchups in the past game, but it has certainly scaled back. And it's been noticeable for sure. Max Loeb of the Dog Check podcast on the Believe Network is with us. And Max, Deshaun Watson didn't get to play too much this season. Mm. And now Joe Flacco signed for another year. 
Looks to be a pretty darn good backup next season, but he's the guy going right now. What do you make of the future with Deshaun Watson? What's what's happening there? I don't think the Browns will look past Watson. Like I think Watson is undoubtedly in the building, the guy. It's interesting to see the timing of all this because that Ravens game, the last game he played this season, uh, was what, 14 for 14, the second half, multiple touchdowns. It was the best half of football he's played all year against probably the best defense in the NFL. And it kind of stinks. You thought, well, maybe everything's clicking, and then he gets hurt. So it, it seems like you can make a lot of excuses for Deshaun Watson's play on the field. And at some point, you got to ask yourself, when do we stop making excuses? But it's still it's tough to see. Like, he hasn't had a full offseason plus a season. He's battling a shoulder injury all year long. And obviously, you know, two years ago was its own, was his own entity with him coming back and no offseason, all that stuff. But I, I think it would be hard for the Browns to just look past him because he does provide you a lot. He provides you with not only a good arm, an experienced quarterback at this point in his career too, but he can extend plays. He can contribute in the quarterback run game. And I think this offense, regardless of who's quarterback, is going to be significantly better when you add Nick Chubb to the mix. Yeah. How much have you missed or how much have the Browns missed him, Max? A lot. I I really do find it interesting though. Like a, they run the ball less, noticeably less, especially with Flacco. But when you look at the efficiency numbers, they're not bad. Like it's it's not like Nick Chubb losing Nick Chubb has completely ruined the run game, which would happen with a lot of teams like like if the Giants lost Saquon Barkley, like the run game is scratched. That doesn't happen with the Browns, or at least it hasn't. Um, but it's been huge. I think he's really the emotional leader. Like he's the guy that's been there. He's the guy that can really go make plays whenever the ball is in his hands. But again, now you have guys like David Njoku doing that. Now you have guys like Amari Cooper doing that. So I, I would be really fascinated to see what the offense would look like with Flacco if they had Chubb. But it's it's hard to put into words the impact that Chubb has on the field. Like you can short yardage or third and medium, you can stack a box against the Browns now. You couldn't do that with, with, with Nick Chubb. Or sorry, you, you can't stack a box now. You had to do that with Nick Chubb. It gives people one-on-ones on the uh, the sideline with Amari Cooper and Elijah Moore. So it's it's a lot of hypotheticals, but definitely definitely missed for sure. Last question for you, Max Loeb, of the Dog Check on Believe Network of Podcasts. How much fun has this team been to cover this season? Here we are on the uh, verge of Christmas. They're in the thick of the playoff race. And like we mentioned off the top, four different starting quarterbacks have all won a game. How much fun is this just looking back at what you've been able to cover this year? It, it's been it's been incredible. And I've been fortunate enough to go to a couple games. So I, I was at the Tennessee game, which uh, which probably Watson's best game outside of the Baltimore game. And it, it, that atmosphere, the Miles Garrett, like three sacks that game, like the atmosphere of the dog pound is a little bit different. I was at the Arizona game, like you beat up on that team, but best uh, defensive game they've had this year. They allowed like a yard of play. It was ridiculous. The atmosphere is different there too. But the really, really cool moment I had, especially just as, as somebody who watches football, I was at the 49ers game, watching what they did to the 49ers, that ridiculous win, P.J. Walker coming in starting quarterback on short notice. Like, it, it's it's been unbelievable. It's so much fun. And the reality is if they win another game or two, they probably will be in the playoffs. And Cleveland Browns playoff football – I am somebody who's not from Cleveland. I'm from Massachusetts. So I've only been out here since I went to college out uh, John Carroll. It, it's been this entity that's been cursed. It's been this entity that's been bad and 
just all over the place. There's nothing ever good. Obviously, you have the the playoff game against the Chiefs and all of that. You missed the playoffs the past couple of years. There's hope, and they're just it just feels different. Like I, I was talking about it with a couple of my friends. That hail mary to Darnell Mooney. That is a pass that somebody would catch against the Cleveland Browns. Like that's a play that would be made to lose the Cleveland Browns game. When I think back just as a fan, like six or seven years ago, that field goal that the Browns had to win the game against Baltimore, moderately reasonable field goal to win the game, division game against Baltimore, blocked and returned for a touchdown at the end of regulation and the Ravens win. Like that's the type of play that I see happening to the Cleveland Browns as a fan. I'm like, wow, you know, maybe this franchise is cursed. And they've lost so many people to injury this year. You still ask the question, but that that Hail Mary, like there's just something weird about it. I can't describe it. Like that's a play that would get made against the Browns. The ball is right here, like literally in his hands. He drops mm-hmm. it. It's just something something feels a little bit different. I don't know what it is, just feels different. Well, it's been remarkable because Texans fans have obviously kept their eyes on what the Browns have been doing because the Texans have the Browns draft pick. They traded theirs yep. away to uh, to Arizona in re- return for Will Anderson. And like I said at the beginning, the Browns just keep winning. Yep, they do. It's, it's very, very frustrating, but you do have to tip your cap because this is a titanic game for both teams this yes. weekend. I mean, yeah. this there's a lot riding on it for the Texans. They're two games over 500. They've beaten the Bengals yet because of the weird tiebreaker system in the NFL. They're 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 looking up mm-hmm. at the Bengals, even though they have the same record and a better record in the division, a better record in the conference than Cincinnati. So. This is a good one. They need to get the Cleveland Browns. And we appreciate your insight, Max Loeb. You tell uh, Eric Metcalf that he's got a big fan, uh, 10-year-old Andy Doherty, that's me, uh, was a big, big <laughs> fan of Eric Metcalf back in the day. He was like a bead of mercury. It was tough yes. to get. It was tough to uh, tackle. And uh, you guys got a great thing going there. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on it, uh, Drew. I, I appreciate it big time. I am so looking forward to this game. And I was thinking about it like – you you look at like a wild card game and you title it must win mm-hmm. in week whatever this is 16 like for the browns obviously it's a must win and if they do win like i said they're essentially in the playoffs which is crazy to think about yeah but if you're the texans like you look at the other games this week like since he has pittsburgh buffalo has the chargers like looking at that it is magnified even more like you don't want to lose a leg right now especially you know indy's playing good football too like it's it's pretty crazy. And as, you know, as crazy as it sounds, that division is still up for grabs too. Sure. And the sure. Jaguars are, I don't know. Like they're iffy. Yeah. I mean, them. their quarterback is concussed like, like the Texans yep, quarterback. Too. So we'll see about yeah. Stroud, whether he, he plays or not this week, but you know, this feels, I'm a little older than you, but this feels like the late eighties and the early nineties when the Oilers and the Browns were, you know, they'd have some good teams that, that played some meaningful football a lot of times it was up in the snow in Cleveland at, at Mistake yeah. Lake, but this is uh, fun. Uh, Houston and Cleveland squaring off for a big one on Christmas Eve day. Max Loeb, yeah. thank you so much for the time. We will follow your work, and you can check out Max on Twitter, at Loeb's Leads, that's L-O-E-B-S-L-E-A-D-S, at Loeb's Leads. He's Max Loeb of the Believe Network, Believe Podcast Network. Drew killing it, go behind enemy sidelines. Max Loeb giving us the giving us the skinny on the Browns, uh, and that's always helpful for me. I'm I got my know your folk coming out hopefully tonight, maybe in the morning, 
And I always get a little nugget that I like to use from all the interviews that Drew did, and obviously before him, D.P. Sidhu, who we miss. D.P. texted us last night. She's going to be at the game, so that's going to be really cool to see her on Saturday. And hopefully we're going to – excuse me, Sunday, Saturday. See, I got Christmas Eve and Saturday, like, all in my head. But Christmas Eve is actually Sunday. Don't want to show up at Saturday. I don't really know what's going on Saturday. But Sunday, Christmas Eve day, noon kick against the Cleveland Browns. We'll talk about that tomorrow with the general right here on Texans All Access. We will also have our Friday All Access. We'll have Charles Davis. We'll have D'Amico Ryans on. We'll have my keys to the game, my predictions for all the games happening over this weekend. And it's going to be a big, big weekend. A lot of games are going to have influence on the Texans, and the Texans' result will have influence throughout the league as well, both AFC and NFC. Well, mostly AFC, Uh, but you get the point. So a big thanks to all those people I mentioned earlier, Nick Casario, Mark Vandermeer, Drew Doherty, to Shelby Coppins, to Robert Woods, to Kevin Kugler, Max Loeb, to all my guys back at Sports Radio 610. Thank you so much. Everybody out there listening, you guys are the very, very best. Thank you so much. We'll see you tomorrow. And as always, go Texans.